This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, everybody. I'm John Donvan, host and moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S. Debates. In this episode, the topic of tech. Tech, that place where our lives meet science and business and culture and where so much is debatable, which is why we at Intelligence Squared U.S. have, in fact, debated tech's impact in a lot of areas already on privacy, on security, on learning, on politics, on our brains and on the state of our discourse. This time, though, we're going a little more global. Most of the online giants like Google and Facebook and Twitter and Amazon, they're products of American capitalism. They're built here. But they play around the world, including in Europe, where the rules are different. Europe has now passed laws that limit what these companies can do, especially what they can do with user data, the gathering of, the storage of, the selling of, the deleting of. And how has that worked out? Well, once again, on the topic of tech, we thought that had the makings of a debate, so we had it. We brought together four esteemed thinkers, individuals who have spent decades thinking about technology and government and regulation, all to our stage at the K Playhouse Theater in New York City. It was a competition of ideas in three rounds on one question, which we call a resolution. So yes or no to this statement, Europe has declared war on American tech companies. That's our resolution. Our live audience voted on that resolution before the show, and you can still cast your pre-debate vote online right now. Visit iq2us.org. That's iq, the number two, us.org. As always, our audience decides which team wins the day. Now, to the debate. Our resolution, one more time, Europe has declared war on American tech companies. Let's meet our debaters, please. Ladies and gentlemen, first welcome Rosalind Layton. Great to be here. Roslyn, uh, you're a visiting scholar at the American Enterprise Institute. You research and analyze all things tech and communications. Uh, you also hold positions in Denmark, uh, including visiting researcher at Aalborg University. Did I pronounce that correctly? That's correct. Thank you. And uh, welcome to Intelligence Squared. Great to be here. Great to have you. And let's now meet your partner. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Baron Soka. Baron, welcome. You are uh, a lawyer. You're a technology policy lawyer. You're the founder and president of an organization called Tech Freedom. That's a think tank based in Washington. Great to have you with us, Baron. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, Baron Soka and the team arguing for the resolution. And let's meet the team arguing against the resolution. Europe has declared war on American tech companies. Maricha Schake. Maricha, you are a former member of the European Parliament, and you are now the International Policy Director at Stanford Cyber Policy Center. You have debated with us before. You have won when you have debated with us. So I want to say congratulations, and I also want to say welcome back. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Thank you. And finally, let's meet your teammate, Ramesh Srinivasan. Ramesh, you're at UCLA. You're a professor at UCLA. You're a founder and director of the UC Digital Cultures Lab. Uh, you're also the author of a new book, Beyond the Valley. And it is great to have you joining us. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks so Thanks, much. John. Ladies and gentlemen, teams arguing for and against the resolution. So let's move on to the debate proper. Round one will be opening statements by each debater in turn. Up to speak first in support of the resolution, Europe has declared war on American tech companies, Rosalind Layton, visiting scholar at the American Enterprise Institute. Ladies and gentlemen, Rosalind Layton. My team has one job this evening, to convince you that Europe has declared war on America's tech companies. Now, I'm an American, but I live in Copenhagen, and I want Europe to succeed For 20 years, the EU has pursued very well-intentioned but misguided regulatory policies for the tech industry. There's no European tech company that you can probably name besides Spotify. In fact, the situation is so bad today that the Europeans feel no choice but to have to go to war to remedy this situation. In fact, the incoming EU president has said it's too late for the EU to build its own tech platforms. Paul Nimitz of the European Commission took it a step further and said, it's the end of democracy. Now let's be clear about what this debate is about. This debate is about war, not competition. 
Competition is a merit-based contest in which companies attempt to win your favor with better goods and services. War, on the other hand, is a conflict carried out by force to undermine or destroy one's adversary. We will show you that the European policymakers no longer want to compete. They want to subjugate American tech companies. Indeed, you'll hear a lot of good points tonight, but that doesn't change the fact that there is a war. Voting for this motion is a simple, fact-based binary statement. Europe has declared war on American tech companies. We will give you the facts and reasons why. Now, our distinguished opponents are likely going to say, the EU's just conducting policy. They're not waging a war. Well, if you ask the European leaders, they'll say the time for policy is over. Now, GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation, is proposed as a privacy. Across the 173 chapters of this mammoth regulation, that word does not appear once. One day after it launched, 1,000 U.S. startups stopped serving the EU because of 45 bone-crushing regulations that cost millions of dollars to implement. That was the first step. The second step is to go after American companies, which I quote from La Croix de Tour du Net, which said, let's attack les GAFAM. Two years after this regulation's taken effect, consumers don't say they're better off. In fact, they install pop-up blockers on their phones to stop pop-ups coming into their face. They report the lowest level of trust online since 2006. Now, there's something deeper going on here. This is a conflict between ordinary Europeans and European elites. The Europeans are still suffering from the 2008 financial crisis. The voters are so angry and disappointed with the EU's lack of success, so much so that they want to leave the European Union. What is more visible than anything else when you go to Europe? It's American technology. The iPhone, Google Maps, Amazon Prime, WhatsApp, you name it. All of these things that Europeans use. The European leaders think if they can overcome American tech companies, if they can show the EU is good for something, then maybe they will love the European Union again. Now, in the year 2000, Europe thought it would lead the world in the tech economy. It was a time of optimism and promise. There was the euro and the GSM standard for global communication. Nokia and five other European companies made phones in Europe. Legendary startups like Skype and Angry Birds, and the region accounted for one-third of the world's total investment. But where is Europe today? Two years behind on 5G. So Europe has declared war on American tech companies, but it's a war of desperation. These policies haven't worked, so they have to dismantle the companies that stand in the way of their legitimacy. Now, Barron is going to describe the story in more detail. He'll show you it's not just a war against U.S. tech. It's a war against our technological future. Thank you, Rosalind Layton. And that motion, again, Europe has declared war on American tech companies and here to make his opening statement against the resolution is Ramesh Srinivasan. He is founder and director of the U.S. Digital Cultures Lab. Ladies and gentlemen, Ramesh Srinivasan. People around the world have called for comprehensive privacy regulation in line with the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation, what we call the GDPR. And I agree. I believe it would be good for the internet if other nations adopted regulations like these. Mark Zuckerberg said that, founder and CEO of Facebook. Far from being at war with the European Union, we can see how in Zuckerberg's own words and stated desires, how European Union regulations, specifically the GDPR, which he cites, are consistent with the founder of Facebook's own stated goals. First of all, Customer-focused branding. American technology companies are focused on customers in ways that respect their public appeal, in ways that are actually consistent with the European Union's own policies toward technology companies. So if you actually want to look at what the European Union is actually implementing, it's consistent with the branding and the public statements of American tech companies. Second, European Union regulations assist technology companies to reach their citizens and consumers. Third, we can see actually how the European Union regulations support liberties of all kinds. They support the liberties of business interests, they support consumers, and they actually support a free market of ideas by supporting all these different types of interests. So let me start by just reminding us how the internet was founded. I'm at UCLA, and the first node of the internet is right next to my office. It's right next to where I go and get coffee sometimes. The internet was publicly funded by American taxpayers, 
What about the web? The web was a nonprofit scholarly communication system for scientists to share information with one another. So, in a sense, there would be no internet without the government. There'd be no internet without public regulations of some form or public subsidies of some form. And in fact, there would be no technology companies without the internet, and therefore the government itself. So let's look at these brands, as I spoke about earlier. Apple calls its retail centers town squares. It's almost like Apple appears to be something like the state or the government. Apple claims in its branding that its technology engages in privacy protections. Guess what? Privacy protections also sound like exactly the European Union's own regulations. Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg on multiple occasions has called Facebook the social infrastructure. Note these words for the global community. Is there anything more public in its branding than that? Is that not consistent with a part of the world who has consumers and citizens saying, "Here's how we can work with you, big tech companies. Here are ways our consumers can actually engage with you." Amazon. In 2017, Jeff Bezos described Amazon as the Earth's most customer-centric company, and in other uh, utterances, he's described Amazon as the ultimate marketplace. Again, a marketplace doesn't necessarily mean a privatized space. It actually means a place where we all contribute and share. That is a form of public virtuous exchange that technology companies profit off of. Even Google has argued that they bring the world together, create universally accessible content for everybody that is meaningful for everyone. The public language and even the stated policies that are interpreted and stated externally by tech companies themselves are consistent with the European Union's regulations, which my wonderful partner Maricha is going to explain a little bit in her remarks. So we can actually see European Union regulations as assisting technology companies in their stated mission. In a sense, the European Union is actually pointing us the way forward toward a humane world, a balanced world, one that supports the liberties, values, and freedoms of all of its stakeholders. It's consistent again with the language that the tech companies speak. That is why I ask you all to really keep in mind these points and why you must vote against the motion that the European Union has declared war on American technology companies. Thank you so much. UCLA tech scholar Ramesh Srinivasan debating in favor of big tech regulations. In a moment, we'll hear from his colleague Maricha Shake, a former member of the European Parliament. Regulators in Europe say that with measures like General Data Protection Regulation, or the GDPR, they are putting the power of technology back into the hands of consumers and restoring faith in big tech companies. Not everyone agrees. Is Europe right to aim their regulations at American tech companies? I'm John Donvan. Stay with us. We'll have more opening statements coming up from Intelligence Squared U.S. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail, from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com/system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com/system. And a reminder of what's going on: we are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this resolution: Europe has declared war on American tech companies. You've heard from the first two debaters, and now on to the third. He'll be debating for the resolution. Baron Soka, founder and president of Tech Freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, Baron Soka. This debate is not about taking sides between the EU and the U.S. My father was German. He was a green energy pioneer. I've spent much of the last year navigating the process of German bureaucracy, of privacy laws, trying to collect the documentation that I need to claim my own German citizenship. And I've spent much of the last year in Europe. Who would live in the U.S. these days if they didn't have to? Why would you stay in D.C.? I love Europe. I love being there. It's a great place to be an intellectual, to write about technology policy, to have debates about what the good life is and what policy should be. It's a terrible place, though, to build a business. The European Commission has recognized this. At a briefing recently in D.C., someone asked a European Commission representative, "Why hasn't Europe succeeded?" And his answer was, "Well, the problem maybe is a lack of ambition." 
and talent. In other words, the problem, he, he claimed, wasn't the EU or its laws or its regulations. It was Europeans themselves. I was reminded of what Bertolt Brecht, the great East German dissident, said, that would it not be simpler for the government to dissolve the people and elect another? Well, I don't think that the problem is Europeans, and neither should you. Europe produces plenty of bright, creative, and ambitious people. I meet them all the time, right here in New York and in San Francisco. They're everywhere. <laughs> But the best ones come here. That's what makes this country great. So if there's a problem in Europe, it's a brain drain. It's because the best and most ambitious and most creative people can't build the businesses they want in Europe. They can't make them succeed. What makes the United States great isn't Americans. It's our ability to draw foreigners. Half of the employees at tech companies in San Francisco are foreign. 71% in the Bay Area are foreign, and many of those are Europeans. They're coming here because this country offers them a framework that allows them to succeed in digital technology. Yes, of course Europeans succeed in other areas. They build great trains and great airplanes and great green technologies, but they struggle in digital technologies where disruption matters most, where the pace of innovation matters most, and where the regulatory framework has really crushed them. In 2000, there was twice as much venture capital funding in the United States. 2005 to 2007, six times as much investment in internet platforms in Europe as in the United States. And this is not just about the big companies. That's what Ramesh has been talking about. This is about small companies. For companies under $5 million in funding across 2000 to 2015, there was twice as much funding available in the U.S. as in Europe, and four times for companies under $10 million. So the EU has talked about throwing money at the problem. That's not going to work. The problem is fundamentally about legal regimes. The new EU president has announced that new technologies can never mean new values. But when those values are control and stability, those values become fatal to European success. What has made the United States successful is the values of openness and learning and experimentation. That's why people come here. Those are the secrets to American success. That's what we mean when we talk about permissionless innovation. Today's internet is about users. What internet users want is to be able to create content and share it with other users. Netflix and Spotify are great, but that's not really what we're talking about. European law holds platforms, websites responsible for essentially everything that their users say and do. The United States, we recognize that that's crazy. It's impossible to expect that websites can filter and monitor and be responsible for content the same way that newspapers monitor every letter to the editor. That law has made the single biggest difference between the United States and the rest of the world of anything. And unfortunately, the Europeans are only going to make their law worse. Under their approach, something like Wikipedia could never have gotten off the ground. We see the same thing on copyright. Spotify has succeeded in Europe because, in part, European copyright law hasn't been that different in the past from the U.S., but it's about to get a heck of a lot worse. You might have heard about the European Union cracking down, demanding that news sites have the right to decide whether you can link to their stories. They're also requiring mandating, uh, filtering uh, for websites. These are mandates that only the very largest tech companies can, can actually support. These are not things the smallest companies can do. And these things have been framed explicitly in terms of trade war. This is about control, about making sure that European companies don't have to change and adapt. The same is true for privacy, right? The GDPR isn't really about privacy. It's about that framework of control and stabilities. The biggest companies have adapted. They can manage those things. The smallest companies can't, and neither can nonprofits. The first privacy case in Europe to have criminal penalties back in 2003 was about a church member sending out a bulletin to her email distribution list. Finally, the European Court of Justice could literally shut off data flows between the United States and Europe overnight. What is that if not a war? And it's killing Europe. Thank you, Baron Soka. Our final speaker on the resolution, Europe has declared war on American tech companies, Maritza Schake. She's a former MEP and international policy director now at Stanford Cyber Policy Center. Ladies and gentlemen, Maritza Schake. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Maritza. I come from Europe and I come in peace. I thought I should repeat this with the very, very strong proposition that Europe has declared war on American tech companies. Now, I don't know how many of you have recently spoken to people who've actually experienced war. In Iraq, in Syria, and in too many places all over the world, we see bloodshed, violence, refugees, displacement, rape, and the worst kinds of atrocities that we can imagine. And I'm very glad to say that Europe and the United States are not at war. 
a lot of Europeans, people that I served alongside with in the European Parliament, have vivid memories of what war actually means and what repression means. I had the honor to serve next to anti-communism resistance heroes who in their own lifetime have served prison sentences for expressing themselves freely and who have been subject to surveillance by Stasi and other kinds of state intelligence surveillance. So is it any wonder that with that experience in Europe, people are sensitive, not to say allergic, to the abuse of power, intrusion and surveillance, also through technological and ever more sophisticated means, of their private communications and their everyday moves. The right to privacy in Europe is a fundamental right. The way I think of regulation is not against American tech companies or against much at all, but really for protecting fundamental rights, for safeguarding security, including cybersecurity. Safeguarding fair competition, having some rules of the road in the economy making sure that AI doesn't disrupt our societies in ways that discriminates. Do all Europeans agree that this is the way forward and this is how we should deal with tech companies? No. There are heated debates, political debates, big disagreements, lobby efforts before votes on amended laws are taken. And that is how it should be in a democracy. This is not to say that Europeans should decide for Americans what they should do. I believe members of Congress, to the extent that they can work it out together, the FTC, the FCC, and other democratically mandated regulators should decide for you, for Americans, what the proper rules should be. I think there's awakening up uh, here in America that a lot of people think there might be room for more oversight and more rules for the digital economy. I also note that when antitrust measures are announced, Tech companies are hiring lobbyists for millions and millions of dollars, and up to 75% of lobbyists hired come from congressional offices that will be directly involved in regulating on the antitrust. This revolving door, it's your American freedom to work that way, that is up to you. But similarly, it is up to European lawmakers, those who are democratically mandated, to regulate for the kinds of safeguards of fundamental rights and freedoms, for a fair economy, against discrimination and whatnot in the way that they see fit. And in fact, the EU has inspired Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, who called for privacy laws mirroring European ones. Mark Zuckerberg called for content moderation regulations so that they don't have to make those decisions. Brad Smith of Microsoft also called for regulating facial recognition technologies. And actually, Microsoft is an interesting example. It's faced strong antitrust measures and is still one of the largest tech companies. So it is absolutely necessary that democratically mandated lawmakers regulate for the protection of very, very elementary freedoms and rights of people, fair competition. It has nothing to do with the atrocities of war, and I'm very happy because I stand here with a big transatlantic heart. Thank you, Marita Shake, and that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our resolution is Europe has declared war on American tech companies. Now we move on to round two, and round two is where the debaters address one another directly, and they also take questions from me, questions from you, our live audience here in New York. We've heard the team arguing for the resolution say that they are not against regulation. They don't think these companies are perfect, but Europe has built a regime of regulation that is well-intentioned but is misguided and has led to stifling of innovation and success, and that in response to that, Europe has now set out to crush the competition presented by American companies by imposing the same sorts of regulations on them. The motivation behind these regulations is about control, not supporting or providing uh, conducive environments for the success of American businesses there. Against the resolution, Marita Shake and Ramesh Srinivasan, they don't think war is an appropriate metaphor for the state of play, but they say that the motivation behind the regulation is not to control or crush U.S companies, but to respond to a demand by the public, that the public has serious concerns about privacy and other forms of abuse by large companies. They say that the regulations actually are liberty-based uh, with the intention to facilitate business in a way that is ethical and responsible to social concerns. So before we move on, I want to say something about the choice of the word war. It was our choice 
This team rose to the occasion of using that metaphor. The point we're trying to say, and you actually made this point in your opening statement, Rosalind, is that you believe the motivations of the regulation are, in fact, to crush and destroy the competition. I want to actually start by going to you, Baron, and there's a point you made that puzzled me and how it fits into your argument. You were saying that the regulations in Europe have driven Europe's best talent to Silicon Valley, which sounds to me like European regulations are doing American companies a favor. So how, can you please pack that into your argument? Sure. Well, in any war, there are always refugees, right? So Europe's, <laughs> Europe's best and brightest have come here, and we welcome them with open arms. But look, um, this is a war, right? Clausewitz said that war is the continuation of politics by other means. We have trade wars. This country, unfortunately, is engaged in a series of self-defeating, moronic trade wars at the moment, right? They're not trade wars that anyone in this room would support, just as I don't think that most Europeans support the, the war that I think that the European uh, regulatory establishment is engaging in. But they are engaging in that war nonetheless. And, and I want to be clear about this. There's a variety of motives, right? We can never speak of Europe having a single motive. Some people, some politicians, are bringing antitrust cases because it's a great way to make headlines. They sound good and they advance their careers. They get enormous uh, settlements, you know, $5 billion claiming that Google doesn't compete with Apple in the operating system market. Right? That's crazy. We all know that, that they, of course they compete. What I think this war is really about is not so much crushing and destroying American companies. It's trying to tame them and make them pliant. And, and in fact, our opponents have made this argument for us. They have just told you that all the biggest companies in the United States are rushing, are falling over themselves to say, yes, of course, we love what Europe's doing. Of course, we can, we can implement those regulations because they can. Then. Well, let me, let me break in, because uh, you made a number of points. I want to let Ramesh respond to some of what you just yeah, said. Yeah, sure. So a couple of quick points. First of all, you may not know this, the web was actually created in Switzerland by a British person. So you want to talk about some sort of innovation that has blown our world over, the web comes out of the European Union. A second point is that almost every major technology company has a substantial set of offices or employees in the European Union itself. A big reason why uh, so much of you know, these technology companies have emerged is, of course, because Americans are brilliant and wonderful, and there's a great environment for that, but also because of the early adopters situation. But Ramesh, but, to, yes. can you be responsive to the point sure. that, that Baron sure. was making, that it's really about control, it's about taming, it's about bringing these companies down, uh, okay, I'd say down so, a notch. So if that were the case, if, if what I read from Mark Zuckerberg was actually the point that he was trying to make, uh, he, would be, he would be out as CEO the next day. So my point, again, is that this, this argument is really, the, the, these leaders of tech companies are not doing this because they are tamed. They're doing this because they're realizing there's a pathway forward whereby they can avoid all of these huge problems that have emerged in the last several okay, years. Okay, so Rosalind, what we're hearing your opponent saying is that the regulations, you're not quite putting this away, but are doing these companies a favor. They're giving them assistive situations. Right. If we accept that they're profit-maximizing companies, I would be very concerned as a policymaker when any tech company comes to my door and says, please regulate me, because there's a profit motive behind it. Regulation is created by industry, and it's operated for its benefit. There is nothing that the EU would like better than to have maybe two or three large American tech companies, which it lords over and controls all the little things. Now, Americans know it doesn't work that way, but we have this kind of history where government and industry makes an unholy alliance. Look at the Ma Bell Telephone Network, 1913, set up to say universal service. This meant that one company gets to control the market, and the government blessed that. And if you want a current example, look no further than California and all the fires. It's PG&E. It is a government publicly owned utility with oversight by the California Public Utilities Commission, which is literally causing fires. People are losing lives because these two entities collude. They cannot be held accountable because they're so tied closely together. So why couldn't that happen in Europe? I mean, why, why couldn't that happen to the benefit of the companies in Europe? Because your argument seems to be that the existence of the regulations is not to collude with the companies, but to crush the companies. Look, the Europeans are doing what regulators do, which is to try to create tame, regulated enterprises. If they can't have European companies, what they'd rather have is pliant companies with offices in Europe that do their bidding, rather than the messiness of having a long tail of medium-sized and small-sized companies. Those are the companies that I'm concerned about. Those are the companies that are not possible to build and launch in Europe. Okay, Marcia, you've been very patient. Jump in. Well, I've just been amused at the talk about collusion. Um, 
these days in the United States. But I think the, the assumption <laughs> is that you know, European lawmakers, regulators are going after the, the sickeningly jealous-making success of Silicon Valley. Let me ask the audience, how many of you have recently been in San Francisco or Silicon Valley? Those who are not here but only listening to know that it looked like about 20%, 25% of the audience? At least. I think anyone At who least, goes okay. to Silicon Valley, the heart of tech development in the United States these days, will see shocking homelessness, extraordinary inequality. If this is the paradise that Europeans are allegedly jealously looking at, I see more of a paradise lost. Rosalind. Uh, we're trying to make clear that the war is a symbolic one. It's a political war. But it is transparent if you want to find out for yourself. It's on the European Commission's website, the European Scoreboard. What we care about is the new business in Europe, the small or medium-sized enterprise. And you can look at data going back to the year 2000. There's hundreds of data points. But what you see in every single European country, the small business may start, but it has a very hard time growing. They don't invest. They don't buy information technology. They don't sell outside their borders. The regulations adopted in the European Union make it so expensive to do so that they just don't do it. But your it's, opponent is saying that standard is applied as well to European companies and to Russian companies and to Chinese companies as it is to American companies. Therefore, they're not targeting American companies. I think that's what you're saying, right? Yep. So can you no, I would, not, I would say not because if you look at the networks in Europe because the telecom sector was so overregulated, it drove them into the arm of the Chinese. So now the networks are built by Chinese equipment which has no safety features. They're operating in brazen defiance of the GDPR and I'm going around to European governments saying, please take out this Huawei equipment. They're making us all unsafe. And they're like saying, no, no, it's fine. It's no problem. What so I'm trying to say, a, it's, it's selective. Let me bring in Ramesh. So two points, actually. One is that we can imagine how the GDPR can actually influence a business ecosystem to emerge in relation to these technology companies and these new policies. For example, companies that might emerge to help people with protecting their data, companies that might emerge in the civil society space, nonprofits, to kind of help people understand their digital rights and services surveillance issues and privacy issues. It's as if the only way to be not at war with American technology companies is to blindly accept 24-7, 365 surveillance, behavioral manipulation, algorithmic bias, but that's, a, that's and an extreme statement of what... The, the resolution doesn't go that far. Right, but if you take it to its logical extreme, it could be that. I'm John Donvan. The resolution is this. Has Europe declared war on American tech companies? More coming up from Intelligence Squared U.S. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this resolution. Europe has declared war on American tech companies. I want to ask you one question that came from the other side. And the ability to manipulate data, to experiment with it, to see what happens when you put this together with this, has been, for better or worse, the business model of these big companies. That's what they do. And they don't like to have somebody tell them, you can't do this, you can't do that, you have to check ahead of time. They don't know what the outcome might be. They want to wander. This is what they do as a core thing. And that the regulations, by targeting that sort of thing, by requiring permissions, putting limitations on what they can do with data, that it goes directly at the business models of these companies. For me, sort of, uh, that's sort of a potential statement of reality in terms of what the companies are about. But that's not the only way in which they have to be, right? For example, several folks in my new book, Beyond the Valley, I interviewed several senior executives at the big tech companies. And they are currently doing A-B testing, which means you kind of test things out with different kinds of approaches toward your users. And they say, if we want to do some disclosure to our users about what we might be collecting on, about them or why you might see what you see, for example, with Google searches or algorithms that you see displaying content on Facebook, we want to see whether that can actually also maximize our returns as well. So if you argue that the business model is, is sort of static in this sense, that actually doesn't describe how these companies operate. Okay. So I want to move to audience questions at this point. And normally I go directly to the general audience, but tonight we're very fortunate to have two people in the audience who know this topic and who live this topic, and we want to go to them for questions first. So I want to start with Jeff Jarvis. Jeff is a professor at the Craig Newmark School of Journalism at CUNY, and he is also an alumnus of our debates. You've debated with us twice. You're a terrific debater. Let's see how you are putting together a very short question on topic that moves <laughs> things forward. It is early days. The right to be forgotten erases history in a land that should know better than to erase history. 
Isn't it hubris of Europeans to think that they can define and limit and regulate the net without a sense of the precedent that is being set even in Europe? It's fine if Netherlands regulates us, but what about Turkey? What about Poland? What about Hungary? What about our own government in the United States? Who is to say that government is our best protector of our newfound overdue freedoms? Or to put it more provocatively, who died and made Europe the protector of the world and the future? Marita? I think that there are definitely political battles between incumbents or industries with a lot of power. Uh, you know, record industry, movie industry are very, very American-dominated, pushing for the kinds of copyright protections that do not benefit uh, newcomers and tech companies. So I think that this is not so much a European-centered discussion. This is a discussion that you will see in any society where there is disruption of old industries and the question what comes, uh, what comes in their place. It is always easier for incumbent industries to lobby against a new regulation that's going to be disadvantageous uh, to them. And I think you've, you've seen similar debates, for example, on copyright here. I don't know how many of you remember, but there was this Stop Online Piracy Act and similar proposals here. Again, I think this underlines that some of the discussions we have, questions about how do existing laws apply in the analog and in the digitally connected world? How do we deal with certain disruptions in a way that it doesn't exclude all kinds of people, whether it be minorities or small and medium-sized enterprises? In the interest of moving on, Rosalind, I just want to ask you, to, it sounded to me like Jeff's question was kind of um, in support of your side. He was sharing your outrage and indignity. Sure. Well, thank you, Jeff, for the question. I think you do bring up an important point, and it's a fair one. I had quite an honor to earn my PhD in a Danish university where I studied the multi-stakeholder model, which I would say is probably the most important contribution of the modern left to our policy discourse, to our policy capabilities. And one of the best things about the internet was we use multi-stakeholder model to manage the growth and the emergence of the internet. And I studied internet regulation across 50 countries and looking at all the different instrumentation. And I learned that there's a spectrum of different kinds of measures that you can use. And if you want to be intelligent or scientific about it, you'd actually test the different measures and see which one provides the best outcome. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't have to be this way. And Nordic countries are awesome at it. They are so brilliant at doing it. But I compared this kind of bottom-up approach to what you would see in maybe Holland or France, top-down command and control. Now, we do have large platforms today. That doesn't mean that they get a pass, but there are new questions around artificial intelligence. If you read the GDPR explicitly, it's illegal to do that in European Union today. You can make that argument. So, Look at the spectrum of options. Test them like a scientist would test them. Make randomized control trials and then make your decision. Anu Bradford, I'd like you to rise. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. You're a professor and director of the European Legal Studies Center at Columbia Law. You're also working on a new book. The title is The Brussels Effect, How the European Union Rules the World, relevant to our topic tonight. What's your question? Thank you. So I guess my question is, who is declaring the war if there is one against the U.S. tech companies? So could we rather not say that there may be a civil war that the American companies are fighting on the European territory? Or what Berin mentioned, the foreign talent that sustain the Silicon Valley's innovation base, the war that the American government has declared against letting that foreign talent further migrate into the United States. Wow, that nailed it. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. take it. Uh, Baron, do you want to take that? Yeah, it's a great question, and, and I should have made this point more clear. I don't think this is as simple as the U.S. versus Europe. I think a lot of what's happening in Europe is that European policy is being weaponized by American companies against each other. The big tech companies are perfectly happy to have the GDPR as a regulatory barrier to entry. It costs millions of dollars to comply. Microsoft, Google, Facebook, of course they can handle those burdens. Smaller companies can't. So uh, Maricha mentioned the Stop Online Piracy Act of 2012, right? That law would have been draconian. It would have looked a lot like the copyright directive that's just passed in Europe. And the difference fundamentally between the United States and Europe is that we stopped that law because that law was fundamentally inconsistent with the American values of openness and experimentation. And in Europe, it has been controversial. I'm going to give Europeans credit, but that is now the law of the land. The values of control and stability triumph. It's not because Europe is 
authoritarian, it's because incumbent industries with established interests manage to continue to control the regulatory apparatus. Sometimes they're European, sometimes they're American. But the critical point here is that European policymakers are essentially waging war against digital disruption, against the dynamism that has defined the digital revolution for 20 years. And on the other side of that debate, it just happens that all of the companies essentially whose burden this is falling upon are American because it's here in the United States that those companies have been able to take off. So you're saying it's not an anti-American animus, it's an anti-success animus. It ends up being a war against American tech companies. I don't think it's because... And, and Rosalind, the other part of a new Bradford's question, who's declared war on the U.S.? So we could have a whole evening discussing all the, the countries, the various levels of government, the different policy actors. You know, it would be interesting. But, you know, there are many different actors. You have the new president in her manifesto. You have very strong policy actors as activists saying, let's dismantle the companies. And they're serious about that. They don't like commerce. They want the companies to be destroyed. You have a guy like Paul Nemitz in the European Commission. You have have various members of parliament. I don't say that they speak in a uniform voice and they're not monolithic. Many different nation states with different particular views, but there's a lot of grievances. What unites people, unfortunately, under those circumstances is a war. And to say these problems through our economy is because of the big tech industry, that's a great way to get people to pay attention to you and to vote for you. Let's go to some audience questions. If you raise your hand, I'll call on you. Hi, my name's Georgia. Um, I'm from Australia, so just another country to throw into the mix here. Um, I want to bring it back to the people, so not talking about the actual tech companies or the people who work for them, but that the tech companies should be in service of us. So what is better for us? Is it better for these tech companies to be regulated? Um, and this is the us, both citizens in the US. And Could we rephrase it? Would it be better for the users if, in fact, Europe succeeds in crushing these companies, which is this side's premise, and then we'll <laughs> take it to the other side, which refutes that premise? Absolutely. What the European Union has, has been putting forward is just an example of common sense balance. I have argued in, in my own personal work for a digital bill of rights, a balanced digital world, right? As we see privatized technologies that we don't understand, we don't understand what's being gathered about us, we don't understand how that's being monetized, we don't, we don't, re, we don't even realize that our credit card records can be bought and sold. That's a place of invisibility, which can open itself to having very little control, which can also open itself to all of these problems we're starting to face. So what the European Union is doing is just leading in a way that in my mind is pro-innovation, is consistent with tech branding, right? Big tech branding, at least, in a way that balances things, that is good for consumers, good for small businesses, good for big tech companies. And that so concludes round two of our Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our resolution is Europe has declared war on American tech companies. On to round three, closing statements. To make her closing statement against the resolution, Europe has declared war on American tech companies. Here is Rosalind Layton, visiting scholar at the American Enterprise Institute. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load, or does it explode? This is Langston Hughes, and he was living in this, this area of New York, and I love that poem so much because to me it represents all of the potential that we miss today. I would prefer an ugly lie over the beautiful truth. In my day-to-day, -day, I come across so many policies that sound wonderful, but my job is to test do they actually do what they say? And I have seen so many things from the European Union saying, we're doing this for the people. But when I look at what the people say themselves in the statistics over time, that their trust in the European Union, in the actual policies, is at the lowest point. So it may sound great, but we actually have to test and see what happens. Barron has a, he's alluded to the Prussian military theorist Clausewitz, who lived through the Napoleonic Wars. And... At the time, it was quite glorious, you know, it is Sweden becoming to die and be glorious and, and whatnot. We know it's very terrible. But there was a way to try to say, well, there's somehow a morality to it. And as you know, we didn't pick the, today's uh, framing, but we thought that it had an important symbolic meaning. And I would say that policymakers will frequently use this kind of uh, a rhetoric to say what they're doing because they'll use morality to describe the policy. So in this case, the way that they've talked about the American tech companies, that they want to break them up, that they want to destroy them, that they want to put them under European control, it does amount to a type of war. 
And so I hope you've seen tonight that we've shown you that Europe has declared war on American tech companies. Thank you, Rosalind Lakin. And the position against the motion, Europe has declared war on American tech companies, Ramesh Srinivasan, professor at UCLA. Thank you all. It's been a pleasure to join you, pleasure to debate with you. I want to first bring to your attention a Vox poll that was done recently right here in the United States. Americans across political stripes, across economic classes, across geographic regions, all together support technology regulation. In what way? A far more powerful set of regulations breaking up technology companies than what we see proposed by the European Union. So what we actually see occurring here is this groundswell that is global in its scope wanting a balanced world. My colleagues on the other side have argued that disruption is somehow a uniquely American phenomenon. They haven't been able to define clearly to me what disruption is. What if I argue that disruption is developing business models that are balanced, that agree with what almost every internet user now agrees with, that agrees with the world that is balanced, that agrees that small enterprises and small businesses that thrive on a secure and balanced climate is the best way to go. I have argued that branding and statements made by technology company magnates themselves are consistent. In fact, they are defining the EU regulations themselves. I have not seen any evidence that the European Union is not a place for technology innovation. And in fact, the web itself comes from the European Union itself, much like the internet itself comes from public funding. And that's why it's so important to understand that we need a balanced world in the image of our collective humanity. And that's why I urge you to vote against this motion that Europe is somehow declaring war on American tech companies. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ramesh Srinivasan. The resolution again, Europe has declared war on American tech companies. Here to make his closing statement in support of the resolution, Baron Soka, founder and president of Tech Freedom. As I said before, this is not about big companies. This is about small companies and nonprofits and everyone else who builds internet tools. Those tools do not take off in Europe. It's simply not possible. They have taken off here in the United States because we've had a legal environment that makes it possible to hold user content without being sued for everything your users do. We have a system of copyright law that doesn't drive you out of business. The European Union has made it and is making it even more impossible to build those services. This is not an argument against regulation. You don't have to be a libertarian to recognize that there's a war here. This is about the United States making innovation possible and Europe not. That's the war. So the evidence is right in front of you. I've talked about the distinction in venture capital investing. And what you've heard from the other side is primarily the companies, the companies, the companies, they can live with this, right? What they're talking about are the biggest companies. Yes, of course, those companies can always live with regulation. What I am most concerned about is that those companies can be disrupted, that someone new can come around and replace them. And that's why I'm asking you to vote for this motion to recognize that, in fact, the European Union has declared war against American tech companies and, indeed, against the thing that has made innovation possible here in the United States. And instead, Europeans are prizing control and stability. Thank you, Baron Soka. And our final speaker against the motion, Marita Shaka, former MEP and international policy director at Stanford's Cyber Policy Center. Well, what a, what a wonderful way to end. Uh, I echo the hope that newcomers and competitors will have all the space to innovate in this country too, and that they're not bought or strangled by big tech companies before they can even exist. But I would like to bring it back to the people. What is better? Is San Francisco's decision to ban facial recognition technology better for the people? Or is the new data protection law in California better, a more libertarian approach that we see in Silicon Valley as well? Or is European-driven research funding for artificial intelligence better? But what I think is for sure is that it is better when the people in their parliaments and in their democracies decide than when shareholders decide. Because what shareholders believe generally and what their responsibility is to maximize profit. And I would actually suggest that instead of hyping the notion of war coming from Europe to the United States, we think more in terms of how we can work together in this democratic way that makes our societies and our internet as open as it is, and that we look globally at the true threats that we should be concerned about, and those are not coming from Europe. They're 
among other places coming from China, where a state-driven, control-driven model uh, is going to be more and more dominant the more we differ between ourselves. Thank you. Thank you, Vote against the motion. And that concludes our closing statements. Our live audience in New York has voted. But before I announce the results, there's still time for you, listening right now, to cast your second vote in our online poll. Visit iq2us.org. That's iq, the number two, us.org. Okay, now, the results from our live debate. It's all in. I've just received the results. Uh, Remember, it's the difference between the first vote and the second vote that determines our winner. Here's how it went. On the resolution... Europe has declared war on American tech companies. Before the debate, in polling the live audience here in New York City, 30% agreed with the resolution, 23% were against, and a very large 47% were undecided. Again, those are the first results. It's going to be the difference between that and the numbers I'm about to read out that determines our winner. The team arguing for the resolution, Europe has declared war on American tech companies. Their first vote was 30%. Their second vote, 30%. They stayed flat on that one. The team arguing against the resolution, their first vote was 23%. Their second vote was 64%. They pulled up 41 percentage points. That makes them the winner, the team arguing against the resolution that Europe has declared war on American tech companies. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This debate was recorded live at the K Playhouse in New York City. Intelligence Squared U.S. debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from the Rosencrantz Foundation. Claire Chang is our CEO. Shay O'Mara is director of editorial. Connor Kerfman is our creative and marketing strategist. Rob Christensen and Aaron Dalton are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Robert Rosencrantz is our chairman. And I'm your host, John Donvan. Hi there. One last thing before we end the show. If you like our debates, and I hope you do, I also hope you'll subscribe wherever you're listening right now and leave us a review. And if you want to hear more from our tech series, check out episode number 153, Is Social Media Good for Democracy? Or episode 159, Has Silicon Valley Lost Its Soul? Or for a more political approach, check out episode 151, Will Automation Crash Democracy? What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try.